The article you're about to hear is a free preview from Slate Voice, the spoken edition of Slate. If you'd like to listen to a daily selection of the magazine's best stories, handpicked by our editors, join Slate Plus. Find out more at slate.com slash voice. Barry Weiss and Eve Pizer's Secret to Cross-Political Friendship by Christina Cotarucci. Just in time for the holidays, the New York Times has published a heartwarming tale of Twitter enemies who learn to be friends. In the piece, Barry Weiss, the intellectual dark web fetishizing Times opinion writer, and Vice Politics writer Eve Pizer explain how they came to like each other's IRL personas better than their Twitter ones. After a year or so of tisk-tisking Weiss's columns, but suspecting the Internet's backlash against her was unduly harsh, Pizer finally met her right-leaning counterpart and, she tells Weiss, every tender thought I'd had about you was confirmed. I've enjoyed previous pieces of this ilk, as when Lindy West met her worst Twitter troll, or Sam Biddle dined with Justine Sacco, the woman who got fired from her job after Biddle posted about her very bad Twitter-based attempt at satirizing racist views. It can be illuminating to watch people confronting the real people on the other end of their tweets, forced to reckon with human beings rather than a selection of words typed into an unfeeling machine. And I always wonder how people with conflicting political views maintain deep and fulfilling friendships. Weiss and Pizer's conversation doesn't provide much substance on either of these fronts. Readers never learn exactly what they disagree about, nor how close their friendship is. They never mention politics in the piece. In fact, Weiss says they haven't talked a lot about politics at all. They also fail to elaborate on the supposed Twitter enmity that provides the premise for the piece. What did Pizer tweet about Weiss's columns? What did Weiss tweet back? Pizer says she liked one of Weiss's most controversial pieces, and the only tweet either mentions is one in which Pizer wished for an interview between Weiss and her Twitter haters, more a premature justification of this column than an insult. Without any specific insight into what it's like to develop a relationship in the face of opposing worldviews and bad Twitter blood, and in the absence of any evidence that either of those things even exist here, we're forced to read this dialogue as a broad commentary on a familiar idea. And it's a terrible idea, the notion that political disagreements can and should fall away when two nice and interesting people meet. For one thing, it's not as radical as Pizer and Weiss make it sound. Yes, when people with different politics focus on their common ground, for Pizer and Weiss that's Jewish roots and being women in journalism, they can have a nice time. Almost everyone in the world knows and likes and interacts with people they disagree with because nobody has the exact same opinions on everything as anyone else. Also, relegating political views to the category of things that don't matter in my choice of friends is remarkably shallow. Political worldviews are about values. Who deserves what kind of treatment, and how far should the government go to ensure they get it? What role should America's military play in the world, where every decision means death and destruction will be visited on someone, somewhere? How urgent of an issue is climate change? How should we remember and learn from American history? Are we looking for equality, equity, or neither? By flattening what may be fundamental disagreements on these and other issues into a discussion of how Twitter rewards outrage, Weiss and Pizer seem to be conceding that the bombast politics writers display on the Internet is performative, all for show in service of their careers. It would have been a much more interesting conversation if they'd admitted that for certain people, politics are primarily a vehicle for fun intellectual argument, not the means by which some individuals retain human rights and others do not. Relegating political views to the category of things that don't matter in my choice of friends is remarkably shallow. At one point, Pizer tries to nod to the privilege of being able to set politics aside for the sake of a friendship, which in this case allowed her to place an essay in Weiss's section of the Times. Weiss, unsurprisingly, misses the message, noting that she'd never try to befriend the conspiracy theorist who called my rabbi asking about me out for coffee, nor would she expect a black person to meet with a follower of Richard Spencer. 
Placing herself on a continuum with black people confronting white nationalism allows Weiss to self-identify as a member of the oppressed, not an oppressor, and to sidestep the privilege Pizer asked her to consider, the freedom Weiss, an American white woman, has to, say, cheer on cultural appropriation or blame Palestinian protesters, including children, for their own deaths in the massacre Israeli forces perpetrated on the day of a U.S. embassy opening in Jerusalem. Would Weiss befriend a Palestinian protester? Would one befriend her? To confront those kinds of questions, rather than the question of how two white New York women with enviable media gigs and tens of thousands of Twitter followers can possibly find stuff to talk about, would require Weiss and Pizer to recognize that political views, especially those aired in publications like the New York Times, have greater consequences for people who can't set foot outside their neighborhoods without the permission of a hostile government than they do for newspaper writers on the conference circuit. Pizer also mischaracterizes the aims of progressive politics when she argues that the radical empathy of her leftism has made her open to being friends with all sorts of people across the political spectrum. Believing that a vile person deserves health care, housing, freedom from state violence, and a vote in their democracy is not the same as enjoying their company and giving them the benefit of friendship. Elsewhere in the conversation, Pizer asks, if we dismiss the almost 63 million people who voted for Trump as irredeemably evil, where does that leave us as a society? Well, it leaves us in a pretty f***ed place. But that's the fault of those who cast their lot with an accused sexual abuser who inflames and feeds off America's most racist impulses. If we dismiss those voters as evil unless they change their values, we are refusing to accept racism, misogyny, and authoritarianism. If Pizer wants to ask non-Trump voters, many of whom belong to identity groups Trump has directly threatened, to forgive or befriend the president's supporters, she should present a better example of cross-political friendship than two white women who both voted for Hillary Clinton. Weiss and Pizer make a few good points in their conversation. Their observations that criticism hurts most when it's coming from an ideological peer helps explain how Twitter affects journalists' emotional well-being. And Pizer's contention that on today's internet, offering the benefit of the doubt to another person is a sign of cowardice or of not being sufficiently moral cut me deep. But ultimately, their back and forth is a little self-congratulatory navel-gazing exercise performed by two people with too little skin in the game to make any clash of principles a friendship deal-breaker. There is an argument to be made that Twitter brings out the worst in people, incentivizing takedowns and trolls. Reducing major political differences to incidental opinions is not the way to make it.